0: It's a lot, isn't it? Hey everyone! Welcome to another um, solo episode of It's a Lot with Abby Chatfield. Um, sorry, this week's episode was a wee bit late. Um, I posted on my Instagram and on the podcast Instagram um, that I have just had a bit of a bad week. My. Um, Um, sorry, obviously a little bit upset. My grandma passed away about, um, sorry, about, uh, two weeks ago now. Um, and I'm obviously very upset. Uh, My grandma was a huge part of my life. I think more so than most grandparents, I guess. We lived with her for a while when I was little. Um, and she was amazing. She literally... Was the best woman, um, ever. She was one of the first female dentists in Queensland, and I guess maybe that's why, um, you know, the feminism and the and the girl power runs strong in, <laughs> in the family. Um, so she was intelligent. She was always so lovely to my sister and I, um, and well, to everyone really. Um, And she was just a great, great woman. So she passed away, unfortunately. She was 91. So that happened. And then um, I was obviously a little bit depressed. (laughs) Um, I also have started new antidepressants. And I also had a kidney cyst last week as well as a cold. So this week has just been a bit of a nightmare. I've been a bit um, shit and all over the shop. So today's probably about a day late. So apologies for that. But we'll be back on schedule next week. Um. I've just got a lot going on right now. But, yeah, I just want to start off the show by saying how much I love my grandma and I'm very sad she's gone. Um, yeah. Oh, poor wee grandma. That's okay. Um, oh. Anyway. Um, so that's what's been a lot for me this week. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I've also started some antidepressants. I've spoken a bit about my mental health on this podcast quite a few times, and um, I guess I feel like I might keep you guys in the loop with this one because I'm starting. I'm starting Lexapro. I've been on Lexapro before, but I I went off it after a few months. I did, I did the thing where you. I feel better. And then you're like, okay, well, I might go off that now because I'm feeling better. And then it ends up like coming back to bite ya in a few years. So I've been, I've been not like super bad, but just like not great for like probably like a year now. So I decided to get on some medication as well as go to more regular therapy. I've had to get a new therapist, which is a nightmare for anyone who knows how hard it is to find a therapist that you like, that you get along with, that you feel like understands you. And it also is qualified. Like it's, it's very, very difficult. So that's happening. I think I'm going to give you guys updates um, just on the pod, probably not on Instagram because I'm sure there will be some sort of um, article about it making out like something bad somehow. So I'll just talk about it on here. I'll give you guys updates if I remember. Um, it's been only a few days and I feel pretty much the same. So we'll see. Obviously, this isn't a recommendation for any of you to get on any medication. It's up to your doctor. But I went to my GP and she thought it was what was best for me. Um, it's been a bit of a weird time. I think COVID as well as obviously all of um, the riots in the US, as well as um, I've been very busy with work lately. I've been very busy with, you know, my grandma passing like family things, family responsibilities, and just overall being a little bit lonely. Uh, living alone is uh, – is really quite difficult and I think it's going to get easier now that we can travel. I think in about a month we can travel again. So I have little things to look forward to and I can see people that I haven't seen in a long time. But living alone during COVID is hard, though I know that I wouldn't want a roommate. So I'm kind of like, you know, living with roommates or living with a partner or your family is hard in one way, but then living alone is hard in another way. Um, The most consistent uh, form of, you know, interaction I have is with people that work at Woolies or at the coffee shop across the road for me they're like my people that I see every day obviously see my girlfriends once twice a week love them but um yeah I'm sure any of you who are living alone kind of understand it's been hard and now that it's ending I'm trying to get back into the swing of things and it's a little bit difficult what else what else what else merch I'm merch is in full effect um, I'm really excited for you guys to see what we've come up with. I actually think it'll be really cute. We've also got another little extra bit of merch that I think is going to be quite funny, but I'm going to leave the reveal until it's actually ready um, and everything's up on the website because I just, I'm so excited to show you guys. So I keep you guys up there updated with that, but that's pretty much it from me this week. I mean, grandma died, kidney cyst, antidepressants, <laughs> COVID, lonely, depression. No, But yeah, no, that's my update with my life right now. I haven't really given you guys an update in a while. I have some really cool guests coming on the next couple of weeks. Keep an eye out for that. But um, without further ado, let's get into some questions. Just a reminder, if you guys do have any Q&As, you can email them in to itsalotpod at gmail.com. Please don't DM me because I end up losing the dms i get so many dms from people that i don't read them and if i do read them i end up feeling very emotionally drained so um just because i have a need to preserve my own mental health um and not get have this emotional labor a uh, florence given um speaks about it a bit how you know when when someone dms you about their trauma or their um issues in life and they feel like they can help you of course it's like I appreciate you guys trusting me with all that stuff. But if you're not ready for it, like if you're just looking through your DMs on like a normal day or if you're already feeling a bit shit, you you don't exactly have the capacity to deal with it. Whereas when it's in an email, I go, okay, I'm recording today. I'm going to look through. I'm going to read through and I can answer better um, verbally anyway, because texting is a little bit hard. Um, So without further ado, let's do the first question. Abby. Yes. I don't know why I'm messaging, but I'm really struggling right now, and your positivity and vibes are real and get me through, and I love them. Thanks, babe. Bless. I've dated a guy for five or six weeks during April and May. It was great, but as soon as I noticed a change in some bodily function down there, I asked him about STIs. Good girl. He told me he was all clear, and apparently his ex did have herpes, but he has had testing done, and he was all clear, etc. I didn't have any reason not to believe him. He was a Queensland police officer... Okay, A single dad, and I thought he was an amazing guy. We had great, amazing times, but he ghosted me after a couple of days after I asked all the questions about STIs, so this screams guilty. Well, now it's come up that he's given me HSV2. And another police officer friend caught a whiff of me dating him and the ghosting and told me to get tested as he's one of the biggest man whores and everyone knows he has herpes. I'm devastated, destroyed, humiliated, insanely upset. I'm a single mum, 26, final year of nursing, workers' admin, mental health unit. Like I take all precautions to look after my sexual health so carefully. And now this happens. I get lied to, deceived, my whole life destroyed, my healthy sexual health taken away the two guys I potentially like to date and I've been talking to for a few weeks, I was honest and I told them about the entire situation and they have both since stopped talking to me and have said it's a huge turn off and they only want to be potentially friends and nothing more. What do I do? Okay, so first and foremost, this is a shitty situation, um, getting herpes, obviously, is a lifelong ailment if that's the word you'd like to use Um, and it can be transmitted really easily if you have a breakout so I'm really sorry first of all that you have got an STI that isn't as easily fixed as perhaps chlamydia or gonorrhea where you take a pill or you get a shot and you don't have sex for two weeks and then you're pretty much in the clear Um, so that's awful I do really feel for you in that regard um i've discussed this previously obviously um about stis and the shame around them and the stigma and i hate that you feel such shame and you're hurt so much by having this sti because it wasn't your fault similarly though i don't i don't love the concept of shaming this guy um i mean he definitely could have well, should have told you and should have had a conversation with you and be mature, absolutely. Once you spoke about STIs, he should have gone, yep, I'm going to get retested, definitely. The issue is most STI tests, unless you specifically ask for herpes, ones that I've gotten anyway, are just for syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia um, and HIV. They're the big ones. He may full well have had a full, quote-unquote, full STI check, and being in the clit. um, I mean, I specifically ask for herpes, but I also get like full bloods, like iron, if I get my blood out because I hate getting my bloods done. But there are also places you can go, such as this amazing clinic that there's one in Brisbane called Rapid. And they go, they prick your finger, and um, they test you for syphilis and HIV, and you pee in a cup, and it's chlamydia and gonorrhea. So they are the four big ones you're tested for. So I don't want to immediately put shame onto him, for saying he's had an STI check and he's all clear because I would say if I went to rapid and got all four tests and I would go, yep, I'm in the clear. Now, obviously, he should be taking additional precautions because he does have an ex with herpes. Maybe he did know, maybe he didn't know. I just want to put that out there as like a devil's avocado because I I hate the shame around STIs altogether, like Entirely. I hate the shame when it comes to the person getting the STI, but also the person giving the STI. Um, from what you've said though, you know, him being a quote-unquote man whore doesn't particularly demonize him. I think we need to remember that if but this was a male-run podcast and they're like, yeah, and you she heard she's a big slut. Like it, it's a little bit upsetting. It's a little bit um, icky to me to be saying that about this guy who gave you herpes. Like I've said before, no one goes out there and purposefully gives people STIs. He could have made a mistake, he could have been embarrassed, he also could have been well aware that you can only transfer herpes if you have a breakout. Maybe he didn't notice his breakout. I think what he's done is cowardly in not coming back and speaking to you and being like I'm so sorry, I apologize. Da 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 da. da, da. He should have done that. That is the mature adult thing to do. But I I just want to take shame away from the fact that it's an STI and saying that he's a man whore. That makes sense. Now, this still is awful for you and I'm so sorry you have this STI. So I'm not trying to make it as though you should just get over it and it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's so awful and I'm so sorry. I think where some more not anger, some more disappointment she goes towards the guys you're seeing now um, I mean, it's totally up to them. Obviously, it isn't something they want to be – they've decided that their, to use the words Dan Savage, price of admission is that someone that doesn't have an STI. I mean, that's fine even though it's very manageable STI and you can – only transfer if you have a breakout and if you made them away, you did the absolute right thing. You did nothing wrong in that regard. Um, I find it really – I don't like the fact that they shamed you. Let me get the wording again that you said they used. They said it's a huge turnoff. I hate that. They can – these two people could have been totally more respectful to you and said, listen, I'm paranoid about getting an STI. I don't want to have a risk of that. I don't want to have a chance of that. I'm overly cautious. And this is something that I can't deal with. My anxiety around this topic is too great for me to deal with the potential of it happening. That's totally reasonable, obviously. But there was shame in that language and saying that it's a huge turnoff as though you've chosen to have this as though you can you can change it. So I'm so sorry for that. I mean, the whole situation is just a bit of a bleh. Like it's just, oh, fuck, this happened, this happened, this happened. I think all you can do from now on is keep doing what you're doing. Be honest. Tell him what you're dating. Do what the person who gave you the STI didn't do. Have a conversation. Be honest. Be open. He definitely should have done that. He definitely should have told you or had a conversation with you after you were kind of questioning some symptoms that you had, he should have gone, you know what, I should get a full, full check. But this comes back to this whole thing about STIs having a stigma around them and the fact that people don't know this about certain STI tests. People don't know they aren't being checked for certain things unless they specify to ask to get checked for those things. Similarly, in P-tests, you can be tested negative. You can get a false negative in a pee test, if you don't pee correctly, I've had that happen to me before. Where I got retested again because I knew the person that I had had an STI, got tested again, didn't have it, but I just wanted to double check because I was like, that's weird that it's a negative, you know. I, yeah, STIs are tricky. I think there's so much shame around them and this is why there needs to be more talk about it and more education. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I think just keep being honest, keep going forward. Don't let this ruin your mojo because it isn't something you should be ashamed about. You can't change it now and having increased anxiety around this is only going to cause you to... Waste time and be really hard on yourself. If you do keep feeling this way and you feel like it's a big block in your relationships, I would suggest going to therapy for a few sessions to talk about this specific instance. Um, and because it is kind of like dealing with a trauma, like the fact that this is ter- you feel like it's ruined your life, it's turmoil, your feelings are completely valid. So if you go to a therapist, you can deal with it as though it's trauma. Um, and I'm obviously not a psychologist, but your girl loves psychology. Um, youtube videos you go love psychology podcasts i did one year of psychology that i guess is the basics but i think as you're a therapist absolutely i'm the biggest proponent proponent for that so i'm so sorry this happened to you but and the way you're feeling is completely valid uh but you're doing all the right things and those guys that said they didn't want to have sex with you or they didn't want to date you anymore because it's a quote-unquote turn off aren't the people for you that is their price of admission unfortunately and the way they went about it is rude anyway. So you don't want them in your life. Um, really proud of you though for messaging me and being very open about it. Okay, the next question is kind of of a similar vein. Um, shame around sex. What a shock. All right. So, hey, Abby, I've only recently become sexually active, but I've had a recent partner comment on the size and shape of my vagina. I think you mean in labia. He said he prefers quote-unquote neater vaginas and that it has made me insecure about my body. What do I do? I feel like I have an ugly – I feel like I have an ugly vagina. Feels. Um, so I totally get this. I mean I have spoken a million times about my outy vagina Um. I mean, any outie, I saw someone comment on the podcast group last night saying with frills or pleated, which I found really nice. And this is a really common thing that I hear. It's also a really common conversation you hear between women about what type of vagina they have and about, um, oh God, imagine having an outie vagina or imagine having a really meaty vagina or the term beef curtains or... All these terms about our genitals and all this shame around having a certain shaped uh, uh, in labia. Um, And it's really, it's really disheartening because I've felt that way and I still feel that way sometimes. I still get embarrassed when I sleep with someone new sometimes. I go, oh, like, are they going to like my vagina? Only for a split second, but it does still happen. So, by no means are you unusual for feeling shame around your vagina. In saying that, though, I've recently, maybe in the past year or two, started following an Instagram called The Vulva Gallery. I'll link that in the show notes. And it is an amazing artist and they draw different uh, vulvas um of their followers they send in photos of their vulvas and then they, they they draw them and paint them and they're so great because not only do you see representation of every kind of vulva every kind of pubic hair every kind of there are some about um every kind of gender there's some about trans men there's some about um non-binary people there are some that um you know all different races all different there are some about disabilities There are all different types of life experiences and there are stories behind each uh, vulva painting and they come with an explanation of how this person has had shame about their vulva and how they have overcome them if they have overcome that shame. And the thing that I found really interesting, the thing that stood out to me the most about my experience in following this page is that there are so many different types of vulvas and vaginas and labia and even not from this page we have different types of hymen and different hymen breaks and everybody has shame unfortunately it's an awful awful truth a lot of there is someone with shame with each type of what type of vagina and It following this page makes you realize A, you aren't alone in your shame, and B, there is someone who has a vagina that looks pretty much like yours and it's either overcome the shame or is vocal about the shame and um is able to have a quote unquote normal sexual life. And I just want to run through a few facts about vulvas. Um because I see so many conversations about this, and even with women who are, you know, my age or older. Um, but it does particularly concern me about young women about um, labia, and it's kind of this internalized shame, and it sometimes become external. When you say, "Oh my god, imagine having a like meaty vagina," it's also the reason why there is a you know there's an increase in labiaplasty. Now, if you've had labiaplasty, that's totally fine. If that's what you felt like you wanted to do, that's totally fine. It does concern me though that you've you've wanted to get labiaplasty, and I wonder the root of that, and I wonder if the root of that is to is because of societal norms that have come from pornography and that have come from this this narrative that surrounds female genitals that is they have to be neat and pretty and appealing to the male gaze if you have your own reasons love it it's like you know people that get a nose job it's like your friends all be like but your nose is beautiful before and then you go well i hated it well if you feel better that's fine but i've considered getting labiaplasty and um uh, that's because, purely because of other people's um, experience with my vagina, with my vulva, my labia. So, you know, that's a large reason why I believe, from talking to my girlfriends and other men in my life, um, why they would consider getting labiaplasty. But I kind of push through those thoughts because I don't want to get a cosmetic procedure on something that brings me pleasure. I don't want to minimize the, nerve, the nerves in my uh, vagina just because of, I guess... The a sexual gaze of women or men whoever I decide to sleep with I'm on the labia library website um, that is an Australian organisation and there are some questions and I just wanted to remind you all about different types of labia so labia can come in all different shapes and sizes so you can have asymmetrical labia you can have darker labia depending on your skin tone similar to the color of your nail beds or the color of your lips on your face. <laughs> um, but obviously different genetic makeups are going to have different amount of pigmentation in your body. So you could have – you could be white and have a brown vagina. You could be brown and have a dark brown vagina. You could have pink vagina. You can have all different combinations and nothing is normal. Your vagina is as unique as a snowflake – sorry, your, your vulva – and to think that there is one type of external part of your genitalia that is normal or that is attractive, it, it, it breaks my heart because I have a lot of insecurity about, around this, a lot of insecurity, but I just push through because I think if someone's lucky enough to see my poussoir, then... um then they should be happy with whatever they get, you know? Take what you can get, boys and girls. All right, so labia symmetry. Labias can be asymmetrical. They actually often are asymmetrical. Um, they are all normal and healthy. Keep this in mind. If your labia is larger than the, – then if your labia minora is – I guess, like, quote-unquote dangles out, like, hangs out beyond your labia majora, that is normal also. There are a few studies going around and they all kind of quote between 40 to 60% of women have labia that, quote-unquote, go outside. In labia, they go out of their, their, um, labia. So they kind of have that, like, um hamburger vibe, you know what I mean? Like Ruben, that juicy Reuben. And both are normal, having Small inner lips having large inner lips, it's all normal. What else is there? The fact that you that you may be comparing your vagina to pornography and um, you know other women or societal norms is really really upsetting. I'm not talking to the writer right now. I'm just talking in general to all of you listening. And if you don't have um, a uh, if you don't have a, a labia or vulva, um, I'm really sorry, but maybe this will teach you something. So I was talking to Clementine Ford about this. I'm not sure if it was on the podcast, on her podcast or on my podcast, or it could have just been having a wine with her. But um, she said that the reason why we have this really – one of the reasons why we have this really strong notion about women need to have quote-unquote neat pussies is because – in pornographic magazines it was actually i think she said it was illegal to print anything that showed the inner labia so they would edit a a woman with a vagina that had inner labia that was peeking out or showing or dangling or doing whatever the, whatever it wants to do and it would show they would kind of edit it out so that it would be a quote unquote Barbie or any vagina because of printing regulation and I guess that notion perpetuated all throughout society and it continues to happen in porn Um, and if you're looking at porn star pussies they're often quite they're quite trim on the um, on the inner labia so the media that we consume really affects how we feel about ourselves and similarly to how porn isn't real sex and how the positions you do in porn <laughs> won't feel very good. Though they look good. They won't feel very good often if it's like a produced porno because of spacing and gaps. Your, the labia in porn is also not very realistic. Now, if you have a porn star pussy, quote unquote, fuck yeah. love Love it. Love it, babe. Iconic scenes. But if you don't, I want you to try and get rid of that shame. A really good way to do that is looking at media such as the Vulva Gallery. Um, Beautiful Ellie from um, Comfortable in My Own Skin, her Instagram is amazing as well. She does um, portraits of vulva. Um, She takes them with her camera and she's making a coffee table book. There is also, if you just Google um, different types of labia, there is so much information on different types of labia and what's quote unquote normal. Spoiler alert. 99.999999 things percent of uh labia are normal um and it's just this is something i'm really passionate about because i i get embarrassed about my own labia and i think the only way we can break that and stop that shaming of ourselves stop that shaming of our female friends even if it's accidental or implicit um and the shaming that comes from greater society is to talk about these things and be like, well, this is what my vagina looks like. So, there we go. Come wait for the Daily Mail article about that. Um, there are as well, which I find quite um, fun, these five types of vaginas. I'm just Googling it right now. So, according to, I don't know, some sort of – some sort of – Some person has said this. But it actually, from all the vaginas that I've seen in my time, is quite true. So let's see. First one is Mrs. Barbie, which is like a, I guess, your classic porn star pussy. No labia minora. It's all contained with labia majora. Then there's Mrs. Puffs, which is where your pubic bone, I guess, looks quite puffy. And um, your labia minora may be picking out a little bit, but is not really Mrs. Curtin's vibes, which is apparently the most common type of vagina. So if you have a quote-unquote Mrs. Curtin's or an anti-vagina, you are normal. The rest of you are normal as well. But I just want to yell it out for the people that have, whether you're male, female, trans, non-binary, whatever you are. If you have a Mrs. Curtin's labia minora mixed with your labia majora, then you're normal. And you're actually the most common type of vagina. It's honestly just as well that people that have these types of vaginas feel shame around them and don't talk about them. And then when all your friends are sitting around going, what's your vagina like? Which I know happens, don't lie to me. You don't talk because you're embarrassed because it's this internalized shame. So it's Mrs. Mrs. Curtin's Mrs. Horseshoe, which is a vagina that opens wide at the top and closes at the bottom in the shape of a horseshoe. And this is tulip, which is like a tulip about to bloom. So if you Google five types of vaginas, you can find this easily. You can see diagrams. If you Google, is my labia normal, you'll find information about that. And yeah, that was a huge rant about labia in general. But your question was, someone said that he prefers needed vaginas bin him that's my answer bin him bin him bin him bin him ignore the fuck out of him block him delete him if someone is saying to you that your genitalia is not attractive enough for them fuck them off they can think that you can have preferences 100 percent. you can have preferences hundred. but to say it to vocalize it is not okay so my answer to that man is see ya and i hate to feel insecure but i hope my little rant makes you feel a bit better Post in the Facebook group, guys, if you have any feelings about your vulva, tell me. Let me know if you have any other resources as well. Comment on the thread of this episode in the podcast group that I do every week Um, because I think it's really important that we start talking about this more. I think it's spoken about as a general topic a bit, but I think we need to have conversations with our girlfriends or you know, non-binary friends. I don't want to be gender exclusive, sorry, with our friends that have vulvas, you know what I mean? All right, that's enough vulva chat. Um, the episode's going to be called vulva chat because, I mean, what else is there to talk about in life? All right, so the next question is, my question for you is around friendships. Just to preface, I'm quite an anxious person, same, um, and I often feel like that is a barrier to getting close to people, same. Anyway, I'm 23 and suddenly I've come to the realization, meltdown, lol, feels when you have a quote-unquote epiphany, but it's actually just a mental break, me, that I don't have very many close friends. I've always had heaps of people I consider friends, but I'm not close enough to any of them to feel comfortable to my true self around them. I always see so many people having that BFF or group of besties that talk about everything, see each other all the time, and are there for each other and through everything, and I honestly feel like I miss out on that. It's kind of an embarrassing thing to admit to, so I think that I've pretended I'm fine with only having distant friendships to preserve my ego, but lately it feels all-consuming and has taken me to some dark places. (sighs) I've also been reluctant to call myself lonely because I have a boyfriend who I love and we live together, so it's not like I have no one to talk to. The thing is, him and I have hardly anything in common, so I feel like I need others to relate to. I also don't expect one person to be everything to me. Good girl. Good girl. I guess my question is, how do I just develop close friendships with people? And if you can't answer that, how do I learn to be happy without them? Sorry that this is all over the place and such a long-winded question, but I thought context may help. No, it's fine. Totally fine. Okay, bit to unpack here as usual. Let me have a sip of water because, God, I've been talking about vulvas for 25 minutes. Okay, so uh, first and foremost, I totally understand that anxiety being a barrier to get close people. Definitely because you're scared. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your family history is but, you know, you get scared of abandonment. You get scared you're too much for people. You get scared that um, people aren't going to like you very much if they find out what you're actually like. So, therefore, you have these very surface-level friendships that are, hey, how are you? Oh, my God, funny. I'm funny. Here's a joke, blah, 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 blah. Let me entertain you and then I go back home and cry because I'm sad that I don't feel connection with anyone. Um, I get a lot of DMs about my friendship group and how lucky I am to have them. And we always say to each other how lucky we are to have each other. I have the most amazing group of girlfriends. But I wasn't always like that. I didn't always feel that close to a group of women. In high school, I felt like I was I was in the quote-unquote popular room, but I felt like I didn't have any really, really close friends. Um, I felt like I, wasn't really quite, I didn't really quite fit in. And there are a number of reasons for that, but I get this feeling of having a big group of friends and not feeling like you connect with certain people. It wasn't until I got my job at a bar um, and I found all these groups of women who were amazing and smart and I would choose to be around them rather than being forced to be around them like I was in high school. Now, you don't say here whether or not they're your school friends you're 23, so it's, it's it's quite possible that it is your school friends. Um, and I think my first bit of advice, assuming that it is your school friends, is to find friends that you do not go to school with. Now, I have friends in my high school that I really like, that I really, really like, that I miss when I don't see them for a while, that I'm probably going to see this weekend actually, but they're not my close friends that I would die for. And I've known them for, I've known them for, 13 years now the friends that I love so much are ones that I found along the way and actually are probably my shortest friendships um, and there's no shame in that I found them in the weirdest weirdest ways I think it's a totally th- normal thing for you to feel like you want to have someone besides your boyfriend to talk to and saying that you guys don't have much in common isn't isn't necessarily a bad thing I guess um, though I mean, I'd love to know what you're talking about in particular. Like, is he like – I mean, let's not get into that. Um, you know, asking for advice on that. I'm not going to pry. But you're totally right. One person cannot be everything to you. Um, But it might be hard to find the energy or the will to put yourself out there and make new friendships because you feel like you have that person anyway. So you don't want to risk the rejection of a friendship – or risk like getting close to someone, and maybe you aren't, you don't get what you want from that relationship as fast as you want, or something doesn't turn out as well as you'd like it to. And so you just you stick with your boyfriend. I, I've done that as well. Um, I'm saying all this from personal experience. Of before I met my beautiful girlfriend that I would literally do anything for. I. I felt like I felt lonely, but I had all these friends. So don't be, don't feel like you can't call yourself lonely unless you don't want to. That's fine. But I, I was quite lonely and I've to all these parties every weekend and I would like see everyone, but it's just that surface level friendship. It isn't as fulfilling. I have maybe like 10 really close friends that aren't all in the same group. Um, and I've met them in really weird ways. I think, I think the first thing is to And this is the same as dating. And it's such cliche advice, but put yourself out there. So I have a beautiful friend, Simon, and we've only been friends for about six months. You may have seen him on Instagram stripping for me uh, one night after we went out together and pouring water all over himself. He is the best. But we became friends because he messaged me when he was drunk one night on Instagram after I was on the show. And he was like, if you ever need a gay to hang out with in Sydney, hit me up. And I was like, oh, yeah, like fun. And I followed him and I followed him for a while. And then one day I was in Sydney and I was like, I'm just going to ask him if he wants to have a drink. Like, like, what's the worst that happens? We had a drink and we just immediately bonded. And I would say he's one of my closest friends now. We have a FaceTime call, usually once a fortnight for about two hours. And that all came. Because I was like, I was so nervous. I was so scared. It was like worse than a first date. But I was like, fuck it. He's offered to have a drink with me and hang out and be friends. I'm just going to do it. Fuck it. Um, so that's my first thing. If people ask to hang out with you, just go. Even if you feel like you aren't as close to them as you want to be to hang out one-on-one, then go. That stops me a lot as well. What used to stop me a lot was when I would be nervous to hang out with someone, just them. Because I'd think, oh my God, what if we have nothing to talk about? And what if it's awkward? And if it's awkward and nothing to talk about, you can just go home. Or you can get your friend to call you. Like on a date, you know? Christabel, you guys know Christabel. Um, I love her very, very, very much. She's my I would say she's my best friend. I love her. I've known her for years around Brisbane, because Brisbane is the size of one single peanut. For those of you who live here, you will know everyone knows everyone. And um, we only became close when the show was airing because I was obviously really upset about everything that was going on with it. And she was like, Do you want to come over and watch an episode with me? And honestly, I was so emotionally drained and I just wanted to hang out with my normal friends. But I was like, You know what? I haven't seen her in a little, in like a year or so. I may as well just go over to her house and, you know, after work and hang out. She got me flowers, she got me some cheese, which is now a foundational tenant of our friendship cheese and we had an amazing night and I wouldn't have gone I had to push myself to go and I was so scared of hanging out with someone that I didn't really I wasn't really close with and hadn't really seen sober I think ever we just switch out all the time at clubs um and now she's my best friend and I I like that is a friendship that I get a lot of DMs about being like, I'm so jealous of you and Christabel. We weren't been we were friends for like a year. this like that close of friends. So I think that's my number one thing. Ask to hang out with people and hang out with people, even if you're scared, it will be awkward. Just do it. Just, just do it. Like the worst that happens is you've wasted a, a few hours at lunch or something, but often you'll find that it's actually really easy to make those friendships. Now the thing about your anxiety and your, what I think you're scared of opening, you know, you're scared of opening up to other people, maybe to peers, I think it would probably be beneficial to, you. to, I'm sorry, this is always my advice, but go to therapy. I tell all my friends, go to therapy. I think everyone should go to therapy for one or two sessions, particularly if you have a specific thing you want to get over. So I'm just generally anxious, generally depressed and generally um, have issues ooh, with abandonment. Um, so that affects my other relationships so I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of work (laughs) but I think when it comes to specific things like this you can definitely figure out what you actually want from your friendships and how to get there um, through therapy there's also a heap of networking and Female events that will happen post-COVID that I think are fantastic. I'm planning on having some um, live podcast shows that are really exciting. And doing things like that and going alone will be so beneficial. I went to this amazing thing with um, Kim Cooper um, in uh, Geelong. And some of you might have been there that are listening right now, but that was great. And there were a few women that went alone and they made some beautiful friends. But at the end of the night, they were all singing and dancing at a pub down the road. And it was just so nice. So I think put yourself out there and it's actually easier to put yourself out there in a friendship way. Cause with the, you know, with a dating way, it's like, oh man, I get rejected how embarrassing. i will be lonely and I just want one person not be lonely the rest of my life. With friends, you can try again and again and again, you can add friends, you can keep trying and get more confident. I would say a lot of my close friendships have all come from taking that chance and even though I've been scared to hang out with them, spending a day with them and just being obsessed with them, like loving them. If there's someone at work that you kind of vibe with, be like, do you want to drink after work? Or like, do you want to go to gym together? Do you want to go a walk together after work one day? My friend, Charlotte, you guys might've seen on my, she was on the podcast one time. She and I met because my first day at my new job, um, I liked her dress. and I was like, I love your dress. Where's it from? She told me and I was like, okay, cool. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to gym this afternoon. Do you want to come? Went to gym. We're inseparable. Inseparable. Because we were like, oh, let's go to gym and like hang out. Because we both kind of were nervous, I think, at the time. Because it's weird making new friends. So all that aside, all my tangents about my friends, you aren't alone in feeling this way. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to you um, in feeling lonely and like you only have service level friendships. But it just takes that little extra plunge. Um, I don't think you need to learn to be happy without friends. I think you will find friends. I think – I don't know what you do for work, but I'm sure you'll meet friends through work. You'll meet if – you, if you live in – live in. If you work in a male-dominated industry, ask the guys to bring their girlfriends, hang out with the girlfriends. You'll then meet their friends. My eyebrow lady. I love my eyebrow lady. Like I have – I have friends from all different groups because of the friends that I do have, I'm like you. I don't like having just surface-level friends. But when I have friends that I love, I will be like one or two from those groups and be like, you come hang out with my friends. Or like we'll all become some weird mixed matched group of people that just are all on the same wavelength, you know. So go to more events. Put yourself out there. I think you can also do um, Friendship Bumble. Don't quote me on that. But I think that's a thing as well. And... Don't be afraid to hang out with someone one-on-one if you haven't already got a pre-existing relationship. Good luck. Let me know if you find any friends. Let me know if you come to a podcast live show. Maybe you can meet some friends there. Um, I do feel for you though and you aren't alone. I really, really think you can do it because you're very self-aware and I know you're poor Dal. I get how you're feeling and I actually almost cried reading your email because I understand so you aren't alone. All right. Hi, Abby, prepare for a rant. I love a rant, so like hit me. Something I'm battling constantly lately is encountering men who don't like an intelligent woman. Preach. I've been corrected by men who are actually giving... Incorrectly... <laughs> Sorry. I've been corrected by men who are actually incorrectly correcting me. Holy shit vibes. They get pissy when you challenge their point of view to the point where they turn it around and say, I'm offensive and still off. Yeah. You're so emotional. No, you're the one storming off. Or they condescendingly say, let's disagree. Let's agree to disagree. I'm just being devil's advocate. At work, I ask challenging questions. They will ignore me or respond whilst looking at someone else. I get mansplained to a lot. I work with engineers. Fair. I'm beyond mad. I'm fucking over it. I'm just at a point where I'm realizing the majority of the population are fuckwits and I get annoyed at other women who downplay their intelligence just to fit in when being around men. I um, would love to know if you and your listeners have encountered this also. How do you manage these situations? When is enough enough? Oh, literally my life. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I used to work in property. And property is – property engineering, I guess they're probably the two biggest investment making as well, I would imagine, would be other huge male-dominated industries. And like a lot of industries have these issues with men. But these three industries from women that I know that have worked in them and from going to uni with all the men are the worst for it. Um, So I totally get your pain. I think the number one thing to remember, if we're talking about it in a professional context, is I guess you're winning, you know. If they incorrectly correct you, correct them back or ask for their evidence. Do it calmly. Talk to them like they're, like they're giving you information. So you say if you're like, so the answer is, yeah. So the answer is 23. I'm just making this up. I know engineering chat. The answer is 23 meters, <laughs> and they go, mm, it's actually, it's actually 46. If you work it out like this, and just go. Oh, is it? Can you explain to me how that works? I know it's a little bit playing up to that. I'm dumb. I'm a dumb woman. I understand. But if you turn it back on them and get them to explain themselves, they will realize how wrong they are and you'll also kind of embarrass them. And I'm not opposed to embarrassing a mansplainer. It's like when um, men in the office, I'm sure you get the same shit as this, when they um, will say sexist, racist, homophobic, transphobic, all the xenophobic, all the awful, ridiculous fucking jokes, quote unquote jokes that are not funny, no comedic value. Um, when they say those in the office, all you've got to do is ask them to explain themselves. That's all you've got to do. Because once they start to explain themselves when they're mansplaining you or when they're explaining their racist joke, they realize how ridiculous they sound. So keep asking questions. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep asking those challenging questions. I do, though, empathize with you on such a deep level about someone responding to you, a man responding to you while looking at another man. Or talking to something that's your work or your expertise and they're looking at a man. That was one thing that really irritated me and no one really empathized with me when I worked in property. They thought I was being ridiculous or, or emotional or I was being dramatic to care about that. But it is something that really upsets you because you feel like you're, you're invisible. You feel like you aren't in the room and you feel like you don't deserve to be in the room. Um and it's only amplified by the way I'm sure you're treated in other instances of your of your life and other instances of your work life. So I think that is unfortunately something that you're going to have to accept. And I usually come, you know, try and fight back on little things. Try to get men to explain to you. If men ask you to do things that aren't your job, get them to do it. Explain to them once how to do it and then don't do it against just admin tasks. Um, if something irritates you, speak up and say why it irritates you and why it isn't right. But unfortunately, these are things that are indoctrinated into men from, from birth, particularly white, wealthy men who have gone to a private school, which most of the men that I worked with were. Not to say that all men that went to a private school bad people, but it's, it's a common thing that they have the same sort of experience and it's only, it's only amplified by the vacuum that is working in one of those industries that perpetuates this, this culture. Um, so I understand I left, I left those in that industry that would drive me insane because it was getting to a point where, well, my career in other ways was taking, was taking off and I could earn money through Instagram and the podcast and I could, um, have alternative ways to get income. So, I'm not telling you because I was in a very, very lucky and unique position. But even before I went on The Bachelor, I was at a point where I was like, I have to change industries. And it was only because of the men that I worked with. How disappointing is that? that I was going to leave an, an industry that I actually really liked the work. I really liked the, the concepts. I really liked the, the, the material, but I could, I would sit at my desk and I would get enraged. I would literally shake with rage and cry with rage in the bathroom because there were so many little things all day, every day that was so passive aggressive. Uh, and perhaps they weren't even particularly offensive to me. They were just racist. They were just fucking racist. And I would – oh, they would be homophobic during the plebiscite. There was a lot of homophobia then. And I just thought I am purposefully putting in so much energy into this. I need to either find a female-run agency and work there or I need to leave the industry because it was damaging my mental health that much and it was making me want to not go to work at all. So if you're at that point, I think I think it's important to consider your options. I'm not saying quit. I'm not saying give up. I'm just saying if there is, if you do everything you can, if you, if you are polite and smart and work hard, which it sounds like you are, and you still are getting nowhere, and in fact, it gets worse, consider other options. And I, I like, people mightn't agree with me then, but I, the way that's the way that I felt. I quit. I left. And I will never go back to property because those men that I worked with ruined my love for that industry. I also wasn't taught very much when I worked in the industry because um, I thought that I was dumb. Um, they didn't think that I was, I was good enough to do it. And I could see that my career was on a trajectory that was at about a 40% of the rate of the men that worked with me that I taught, um, that I would help in uni with assignments because everyone goes to uni at the same place in Brisbane, basically, for property. So there were men that I went to uni with that I would help in uni with basic theory and then they would be skyrocketing in their careers and I'm staying second and it just was too much for me. I will never ever go back to that industry. I think it's a revolting industry for women. In my experience, people can argue but if you disagree, don't tell me because my experience was at that. I think it's revolting Um, and my female counterparts and I have spent many lunches, many wines, many, many drinks talking about it. Um so if you get to that point don't be ashamed to either make a big move for yourself that could just be changing agencies um or reconsider if you can do this for 40 more years in your career because I couldn't I wasn't strong enough to do it I didn't want to I didn't want to Um if it's in regards to though this is just an interesting thought I don't think you were asking this but we can just talk about it anyway I'm just thinking in regards to dating. This is something that I find really difficult as well because when it comes to dating, it's it's pretty common knowledge that men want to date or marry, quote-unquote, down. They want to date women who are not as successful as them, not as, um, quote-unquote, intelligent, what even is intelligence, you know, um, that aren't very, like, "Quote unquote, I hate this word, but feisty. But they're not intimidating. Basically, they aren't. They aren't powerful. I guess that's the best word. They they don't women that are powerful. Uh, so it can be a challenge to date when you have your shit together. Um, fortunately, though, the people who are going to be intimidated by the fact you have your shit together aren't the people you want to date if you have your shit together see how that works you've got a cyclical thing going on here so you know it, i mean it can be difficult to find someone if you are particularly successful in any realm or god forbid more than one realm because women are supposed to be one thing at a time but I think what's important is just to remember that when you're dating someone, if they're going to... Well, first of all, as a whole, if someone doesn't want to be with you, then then you shouldn't want to be with them. Not that you're invalid for having sad feelings and feeling shit, because we all know that we all feel that way at times. Um, but someone wanting to be with you doesn't mean you're worthless, I guess is what I'm going to say. So like... It shouldn't affect the way you see yourself. You can be sad. You can be upset. You can miss that person. Absolutely. But I fall into the trap or have fallen into the trap in the past um, of just feeling like a piece of shit if someone doesn't want to be with me when in fact it's just an incompatibility thing um, and you don't really need answers to that. Just the person doesn't want to be with you and you shouldn't want to be with someone unless they're dying to be with you. You shouldn't want to be with someone unless they're wanting to be with you 100% of the time. Rather than, you know, because you're there. Does that make sense? That's my bad advice. My brain stopped working halfway through. Thanks for all your questions, guys. I had a few more on this. I've got a few more to get through next time. I've got a guest, which will be next week. Um, I have a really, really exciting guest next episode. So I'm really excited for that. You guys will love it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um please remember to add yourself into the podcast group follow the podcast on instagram i've been posting some memes lately i've been really trying to get that activity up there um and email me at itsalotpod at gmail.com with questions comments emotions feelings um vibes and see you next week bye